You can find our scripture reading on page four of our bulletin. And today's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sohi, for reading that. Just thought we should begin with a moment of silence for the lost hour of sleep. <laughs> Just grieve for a little bit. I know how many of you thought, you know, maybe this is just a good day to live stream it in our pajamas. <laughs> And if that's you out there, we know your IP address. Okay, we don't. For the season of Lent, we're in a teaching series. We're, we're looking just at one chapter in the Bible. It's John chapter 17. And we're going to be looking at this starting last week all the way through Easter. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. One theologian said of this chapter, there was never a more excellent, more holy, more fruitful, and more affectionate voice ever heard in heaven or earth than this prayer. I think there's a lot of truth to that. If it's possible that parts of the Bible are more holy and more sacred than other parts, if that's possible, this would probably win. I think, is the most holy and sacred thing we have in the Bible. Because in this prayer, we have a window into the relationship of Jesus, the Son of God, with the Father. This relationship, this eternal communion that he has had with his Father before the world existed. That's the deepest reality we can ever conceive of. That's the deepest reality there is. And in this prayer, we hear him pour out his deepest heart and his deepest purpose for all who follow him. He prayed this prayer knowing that he would soon die. 
You see that at the very beginning of the prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. It's here. And if you knew that you were about to die, if you knew you had only a few precious moments with those whom you love, you would not waste your words. The things that would come out of your mouth would be the things at your core, the deepest things, the most important things. And that's what we have here in John chapter 17. As we look at this prayer for the whole season of Lent and into Easter, what I'd like for us to do is to ask a question and honestly confront and answer this question. I I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. This is it. Is, Is this prayer, we just heard it read, not all of it, but most of it read, is this the prayer that I would ask Jesus to pray for me? Is this the prayer that I would most want Jesus to pray for my life and over my life? Look at the prayer. Answer that question. Did you, when you heard that read, say, that's the prayer I needed today. That's it. That's exactly it. I, I've been trying to wrestle with this question. I don't think, if we're honest, all of us, that any of us would, would say that this is exactly it. This is the one that I would write out for Jesus to pray for, pray for me. But what we'll be talking about all Lent is why This is the prayer we need. No matter what is happening in your life right now, that this is the prayer you most need to be prayed over you and into your life. This is the prayer that will transform you. This is the prayer that will enable you to take heart and find courage in anything. It's all here in this prayer. This morning, as we get into the focus of this morning's message, I just first want to say I have a new title. It is on the PowerPoint, but if you want to scratch it out in your bulletin, it's not in the world. That's going to be next week. I'm saving that for next week. This title of this message, we can go to the next slide, is not out of the world. It's a phrase found in verse 15 of this prayer. Not out of the world. There'll be two points for this message. What Jesus doesn't pray for and what Jesus does pray for. Look at verse 15. We're told what Jesus does not pray for. And what's interesting is how explicit and how clear he is about this. He wanted his disciples, he wanted all his future followers to know this, and he prayed it out loud, which is very interesting because I was thinking... Does anybody ever pray like this? Do you pray like this? God, here is what I am not praying for. Does anybody do that? This is what I am not asking you for. I don't think I've ever prayed like that. And in verse 15, Jesus says, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. Why did Jesus pray this? Why did he want his disciples and us to know what he is not praying? praying for. And as I thought about this and I sat with this this week, the more I realized how important it is, how crucial it is for living the Christian life, for what it means to be a Christian, for praying for the struggle of understanding life in a world of suffering. And yet, as Jesus says in the preface to this prayer, John chapter 16, 33, there will be suffering in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Understanding that all comes down to understanding why did Jesus tell us what he's not 
praying for. Let's do an exercise here. If you can list out a few things in your mind, maybe you can write these down. List out a few things you would want God to know you are not praying for. We have prayer requests. Like, what are your prayer requests? We say a lot. What do you want me to pray for? This is the anti-prayer request or the prayer anti-request. What, is, what are the things you don't want to ask for? The things that you are saying, God, these are not what I'm praying. Here's my list. God, this is what I am not praying. I am not praying for suffering to come in my life. I am not praying for difficulties. I am not praying for pain or struggles or loss in my life or for those whom I love. I am not praying for sin in my life. I'm not praying for evil to continue to wreak havoc in this world. I imagine your list is probably similar to my list. Maybe there's some unique things on there. And here's the thing I realized. Everything that's on my list there are things that are in the world. And Jesus is saying, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. What we are not praying for, what I am not praying for, and what Jesus is not praying for seems to be the exact opposite. He says, don't take them out of the world. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm saying, all these things that are in the world, take them out of my life. Exact opposites. To understand what's going on with this, we need to get a handle on the word world. It's the most frequent word used in this prayer. It's the inspiration behind the bulletin cover. You see it there in the, in the back. There's a world there. Why is that there? Because 18 times in this prayer, Jesus uses the word world. What does it mean? If we see how this word is used throughout the Gospel of John, we get a good idea of what Jesus means when he says the world. The world is a place of trouble and suffering. John 16, In this world, you will have suffering or trouble. The world has a ruler, Jesus says, who works against God, who works against human flourishing and human good, an evil personality, an evil presence called the devil. In John 14, 30, Jesus says, I'm not going to talk with you much longer here because the ruler of this world is coming, he has no, though he has no power over me. So this world has a ruler or a force who has power. The world is a place of darkness. Darkness meaning lies, ignorance about truth, about reality. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the world is a place of darkness. The world is marked by sin. John 1, the very beginning. John the Baptist says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sometimes in the Bible, world is just means universe or just all the people in the world. But here, as we look at how Jesus is using the word world in this prayer, it means all these things together, sin, suffering, evil, trouble, darkness, and lies. The world, as one scholar summarized it, epitomizes all the persons and the values and the forces in opposition to God and to his son, Jesus Christ. The world is, we could think of it as the total system of life that has been built to do life without God, to do life apart from God, that is the world. It's a concept that includes spiritual evil and sin and all the pain and all the grief that results 
and is the consequence of these things. So Jesus here is praying. I am not praying, God, that you take them out of the world. But most of our prayers are for just this. God, take my troubles away. God, keep suffering away from me and those I love. God, take away the pain and the guilt and the grief of sinning and being sinned against and the evil in this world. So what do we do with this? The important and difficult point here is this. To be a Christian does not mean you will be taken out of the world and all its trouble and all of its suffering in a world of sin and evil and darkness. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. It's hard to accept that, but it's so important. And let me say this, it's not wrong to pray for God to keep us from suffering and trouble. We see prayers like that in the Bible, to keep sin out of us and away from us, to drive back evil and darkness in this world. But it is dangerous to pray for these things if we think they are promised to us by Jesus. If we think Jesus promised us a way out of them, if only we prayed rightly, said the right things in our prayers, if only we were sincere enough, or if only we were good enough and faithful enough, then we would be taken out of the world and all of the trouble in the world. Jesus's anti-prayer request here is to prevent the disciples and all who would follow him from great misunderstanding and disillusionment. These things that are in the world are a part of every person's life and journey. And at some point, this is true of my life, this is true of the people whom have shared their lives with me as a pastor, at some point in our lives we come to a place where we struggle with this very conflict. Take me out of the world, Jesus. I am not praying that you take them out of this world. And what we do when those two things come together in conflict really does determine our relationship with God, our understanding of who God is, and our growth in his purposes and understanding what he does promise. It is a crucial point that every single Christian comes to. Take me out of this world. I am not praying that you take them out of this world. Many people get stuck there in disillusionment, in being disheartened and discouraged. And Jesus is being very clear here. This is what I'm not praying. Let me share an illustration. Hopefully this will, will help. When you stay in a hotel, you pay a good price to go to a hotel. It's a nice, you stay in a nice hotel. And what happens when you show up to this hotel and you come into the room and there's overflowing trash in the wastebasket and you see that? Or if the bed is not made, the bed is all messy and the sheets are everywhere and the comforter's all off, or somebody else's clothes are lying on the floor there in your hotel room. What do you do? You pick up the phone, you call the desk and go, there are problems in this room and they need to be fixed. What is happening here? But if you walk into your own house 
and you see the trash can is full, you don't say, why is this trash can full? What is happening here? Or if you go into your own bedroom and say, the bed is not made. What is going on? Or clothes are lying on the floor and you go, what are these clothes doing here? Well, it's your house, right? You take out the, you pick it up. When you, when you walk into a hotel room that you're paying for, you expect it to be clean and immaculate and spick and span and everything set up. When you walk into your own house, you know there are issues and problems and mess that you, <laughs> that you should expect. The point is, it's about our expectations. Christianity says, there will be a day when the world is cleansed from all its trouble, from all sin and evil and suffering. In the words of John later in the book of Revelation, he said, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. God will bring an end to all the suffering and sighing in this world. But until then, in the world, there will be trouble. Don't be surprised when it comes. Don't let it come out of left field and go, wait, wait a minute. I thought if I did the right things and I was a good Christian and I served this way and I prayed this way, that I would be protected from these things. I wish I didn't have to say it like this, but Jesus says, expect these things. It is a part of living in this world. I am not taking you out of this world, but I am doing something in you in this world, in suffering, in trouble, in sin, even in our sin, and in the evil and the darkness of this world, he is working. He is working to make us holy. He is working to make us fit to be sent in his mission to this world. In this prayer, there's a sober warning and how important this is in verse 12. This is exactly what happened to Judas, one of the 12 disciples. He got stuck at the point of disillusionment. He said, I thought, Jesus, this was about taking us out of this world, bringing glory and comfort and suffering here and now, driving out the oppression of the Romans and putting us on top. On the top of the world, Jesus, isn't that what this is about? Judas was committed to Jesus only when he believed he would take him out of this world. And when that became clear, that's not what Jesus is doing. He is going to suffer. He is going to die. And then Jesus betrayed him. And it says in this prayer, Jesus prayed he was lost. He was lost in his disillusionment. And so, friends, just... To consider this important yet hard point. Jesus says, I'm going to sanctify you in this world. I'm going to send you into the world. We're going to talk about those in different messages. That is what I'm going to do in your life in this world. But let's be very clear about the promise I have and have not made. For Judas, he was holding on to Jesus as long as he kept a promise that he had not made, that Jesus had not made. And as soon as he hit this disillusionment, he let go. So for those who are there in a place of suffering and struggle right now, I have more to say in just a moment. 
And for those who are, all of us will face disillusionment where these two things collide again, take me out of this world. I'm not praying for that right now. Jesus wants us to know this is a part of what it means to follow him. Expect these things. They will happen. They will come. But that's not it. What does Jesus pray for here? You say, well, this is not a very uplifting message at this point, Pastor Eric. I understand that. But there is a second point here. Jesus does not pray that we be taken out of the world, but instead he prays that we would be protected in the world, protected and guarded. This is the main theme of the part of the prayer found in verses 11 through 15. Look at these verses with me. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world. I'm coming to you, Father. Protect them by your name or in your name. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name. I guarded them. Not one of them was lost. Verse 15, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. What's the second half? But that you protect them from the evil one. Now, protection sounds like, yeah, that's what I want to pray for. That is something I would definitely want Jesus to pray for me. But here's the question. As we've seen, we aren't protected from all suffering and trouble in this world. It happens to all of us. So what is Jesus praying that we are protected from, that we can take heart and find courage and find hope in? What is it if it's not that we can avoid all suffering? Another illustration I'd like to share. If you had a relative that had to go into combat, God forbid that, but if that was true and they were in the military and you knew they had to go into a dangerous situation and you have the chance to speak with them before they go in and you just say, do you have protection as you go in to your mission and to do what you need to do? And if they say to you, yes, don't worry, I'll be wearing sunscreen, SPF 70. And you say, no, no, I, I didn't mean, right, that's fine, you, that's good that you're protected by the sun, but are you protected with armor and artillery and all that sort of thing? Or another one, if during a surge in the pandemic, hopefully that never happens again, but say it happens again, and somebody comes to church, and they're just wearing full baseball catcher's gear. They have the, the chest protector on, and the shin guards on, and they have the helmet with, the, with the, the face mask thing right there, and you, and you go, why are you wearing baseball's catcher's gear? You say, it's a pandemic. I'm, I'm protecting myself from the pandemic. You say, that's not how it works. This is a respiratory disease. It goes into your lungs. You are not protected. Why am I sharing these ridiculous illustrations? To understand this, the protection Jesus prays for to understand it, we first need to answer this question. What is the greatest threat and danger? What is the greatest threat and danger that we face as human beings? And what does Jesus' prayer reveal that he considered the greatest danger and threat? Is it suffering? Is it being hated? Is it death? Or is there something else more dangerous is there something else that are the real threats? What are we protected from? Jesus says there are two things that are the great dangers to every human being here in this prayer. There's more, but two here in this prayer that he identifies. First, verse 15. 
I'm not praying you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's danger number one. Jesus prays we would be protected from the evil one. I know it's hard maybe for you to believe, modern people to believe in the existence of a being like the devil, like Satan. But Jesus did. And he took him very seriously. I can't give a full-length defense of why we should believe in Satan, but there is evil in this world that is not fully explainable by human action and choice. We look at the great atrocities of this world. We look at the war that's happening right now. We look at slavery in this country in the history, and we ask, is this just bad apples? Is this just bad people? How could an entire society band together and commit these atrocities against their fellow human beings? There's a greater evil force behind that, Jesus says, and that is Satan. He is the enemy of God's purposes. He is the evil one who is one of our greatest dangers. And the evil one's main weapon, according to Jesus, let's just demystify Satan and how he works. And Jesus did that here in the Gospel of John. He said, you want to know what Satan does? He lies. That's his main weapon untruth. John 8, he was a murderer from the beginning, Satan, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. For the purposes of this message, it's important that we realize this. One of the lies, the main lies that the evil one tells us are lies about trouble and suffering are lies about your suffering and your trouble. He says, you see, God doesn't care. You see what's happening in your life? How can God be there? He's not there. How could he be and let this happen to you? All the spiritual stuff you've done, all the study you've done, all the ways that you've served, coming to church, it didn't protect you from this. So what good is it? How can God love you? It's your fault. You should have done better. Has anyone ever heard that in their soul when they've been in trouble and suffering? I have. And actually, this is what happened to Peter, the leader of the disciples right after this prayer Jesus said to Peter in the midst of their final meal together he said Peter Satan is going to sift you like wheat he's going to shake sifting wheat he's going to shake your faith but he told Peter I've prayed for you just like in this prayer this is the prayer he prayed for Peter Peter I've prayed for you that when that happens your faith may not fail how did Satan shake Peter when, he, when Peter saw Jesus suffer, when he was carried away to be crucified, when everything looked dark and lost, when he denied Jesus out of fear of suffering? This isn't what I thought would happen, Jesus. Not this trouble, not this suffering. There was the evil one. Peter, you've made a mistake. He's not the one. He can't be trusted. Deny him and give it all up. Later, Peter, the same Peter, 
after being restored by Jesus. And his story was Jesus met him and restored him personally after he had suffered and after he had denied Jesus. He wrote these words in his letter. He said, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil. Listen to these words in light of Peter's experience. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Peter's speaking out of his own experience. He's saying, I heard the roars, I heard the voice, I heard the lies of the devil. So when it was time to suffer, said, it's not worth it. Give it up. And so he says to us, be sober-minded, be clear-thinking, know the strategy of Satan. And when we suffer, when we go through trouble, there is the trouble itself and the suffering itself. And Jesus is saying, and Peter is saying, you can be saved from the second part of that suffering and trouble, which is the struggle we have over, why is this, we can't accept it, we can't, It's not according to our expectations. This isn't how my life should go. So we suffer double because of that. And he says, be sober-minded. Be ready for the lies that come in your suffering. Secondly, and related, the second danger that Jesus says we are protected from and prays for our protection from is in verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given to me so that they may be one as I am one. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on Jesus' prayer for our oneness, but for this message, I want you to think about the opposite of oneness, that Jesus saw as such a threat. The evil one is a threat and danger, and the opposite of oneness. What is the opposite of oneness and unity? Well, oneness, unity means connection and commitment, right? To be one with people, you are connected to them, you are committed to them. The opposite of that is isolation. Isolation. Jesus prays, protect them from isolation in a world of suffering and trouble. A great danger in our suffering and trouble is that we would become isolated. And in our isolation, lies, the lies of the evil one, seem much more plausible when we are all alone with our troubles. Jesus is praying in light of the reality that we need each other to live the holy and missional life rooted in the word of Jesus in a world of trouble and evil. And so when Jesus prays for us here, what he prays into our lives, we cannot do alone. To be disconnected and uncommitted to other Christians Jesus says, is one of the greatest dangers, especially when we are experiencing the troubles of the world. These two things, the danger of the lies of the evil one and isolation are the source of so much discouragement. They take away joy. They keep us from growth. 
and they prevent us from being witnesses who are sent into the world with the hope of the gospel. These are the great dangers Jesus prays that we would be protected from, and how are we protected from these? Look at verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by your name or in your name. He says, I've revealed your name to them back in verse 6. I was protecting them by your name, verse 12. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. That's from verse 26, the last sentence in the chapter. The name of God, Jesus says, is how we are protected from these threats and from these dangers. The name of God, what is that? That's the character of God. That's who God is, the truth of who he is. And Jesus says, I've revealed your name. I'm protecting them in your name. I made it known to them. I will continue to make it known to them, to be protected, to stay in the name of God, in the truth of all that he is, especially in our troubles. That is how we are protected. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know the name of God, that's why I came, to reveal it, to show it, to display it in all that I am and all that I do. And so when we ask these questions, is God a God who is distant and far off from our suffering and trouble? No. He is a God who entered into the world in Christ. Is God a God who doesn't do anything about our suffering? No, he is a God who suffered with and for us in Christ. Does suffering and trouble prove that he doesn't love us? No. Jesus has loved us to the uttermost by saving us from the suffering that we have all chosen and deserve because we have rejected the name of God. Jesus did not protect himself from suffering, but he entered into it. Born into a world of suffering, he faced the lies of the evil one in his own temptations to avoid his own suffering and cross. That was the temptation of Satan. He, he faced those. He overcame those. He did not stay out of the world of suffering, sin, and evil, but came into the world to overcome and conquer all of this by turning the tables on suffering and evil, by taking the worst of human evil, the rejection of God himself, sin and suffering, and in all these things, revealing his love for us. In 1 John 5, 5, same, the same author, John, he had to be inspired by this prayer, says, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, and if he suffered with us and for us, then we can trust not only that God will get us through suffering and trouble, but that he will turn the tables on suffering and evil in this world. The story of Joseph, probably the best example of this, you know the story of Joseph. God didn't protect him from being sold into slavery by his brothers. God didn't protect him from being falsely accused, as he was. God didn't protect him from going to prison. God didn't protect him from being forgotten in that prison. And yet at the very end of his life, when his brothers 
come to him. Their father has died and they're afraid. They said, Joseph is going to get us back. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? He looks at them and says, you planned it for evil, but God planned it for good. That's a turning of the tables. There is evil. There was wrong that they did. But in that evil and in that suffering, God turned the tables to bring redemption. And that is but a glimpse of what he has done to suffering and evil in Jesus Christ. The worst evil in the world, the worst suffering in the world, the worst darkness in the world has brought about our greatest good. And so he will do for you and in your life. Last thought, just to sum it all up, it would be spiritual malpractice for me to stand up here and say, let me teach you how Jesus says you can have an easier, comfortable, and more successful and suffering-free life in this world. I would be misrepresenting everything that Jesus says and this prayer where he poured out his deepest heart and purposes for us, and I would be setting you up for disillusionment. If I say, on the other hand, let me show you how Jesus says you can have a holy life, a purposeful, sent life, a life of oneness and connection with others, a life rooted in truth and in reality that living in a world of suffering and trouble doesn't take any of these things away, but strengthens them and builds them, then I would be true to what Jesus is saying in this prayer. And I would be setting you up to go deeper into the love of God and become someone through whom he can give this love away to others in their troubles. And let's pray that God does that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this prayer of Jesus. It's not exactly what we would have prayed for. As it contains something hard for us to hear, the things that he did not pray for. I pray in light of that, that you would set us free from false ideas of who you are and what you came to do, Jesus, and you would set us free for something even greater, an overcoming faith in you, that even though there is still trouble and suffering in this life and in this time, that even in and through these things, you turn the tables on them and you plant us deeper into the love that you have for us. We know one day there will be no more suffering, sighing, and sin. Until that time, we pray for the protection that you prayed for over our lives. Protect us from falsehoods and misconceptions of who you are. Protect us from trying to go at this alone Bring us together. Plant us deeper in the hope that we have, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We pray all this in your powerful name. Amen.